You know, when you listen to this, if you could make yourself a pledge to brainwash radio, that would be great. We would love you. We really need it. We're struggling over here. In Hollywood, we're struggling. Uh, 90 degrees out. I don't got no fucking fans to cool much. So I got that dear high direction sensation. That cartoon. All you Saudi Arabian lovers out there, them women. Khalini on each Khalini on each Khalini on each Khalini on each Come on. Come on. You're on the brain, bitch. I know you are. Damn, I can see myself in the black mirror. I love it. Black Moss, Black Rock, Black Jamie. We're going to play some motherfucking metal. I don't give a fuck on the brain. Tuesday. What's up, guys? Brainwash Radio. We're going to play some oldies for goodies. Oh, schnessy. Let's do it, bitches. Hope you guys are laughing now on your Tuesday. Hey, hey, hey. I need a long
come on. You know what I like. 
chantilly lace and a pretty face, ponytail hanging down, a wiggle in the walk and a giggle in the talk. Lord, made the world go round. Ain't I nothing in the world like a big-eyed girl to make me act so funny, make me spend my money, make me feel real loose, like a long-necked goose and like a girl. Oh, baby, that's what I like! that others see the way that we approach life and that can have an influence and many spiritual teachers talk about basically when one elevates one's consciousness that radiates out to others so just being in the presence of someone with an elevated perspective can be helpful that's one way of thinking about it and then another i think is um personal experiences which we can't put on someone but there's a common theme in the research that I've done, whether it's a near-death experience or psychedelic experiences or meditation experiences, something that's spiritually transformative. When someone has a direct experience, it becomes undeniable and there's an immediate shift. Whereas, like what I've done in my work so far, I've, I've tried to put the intellectual evidence together for people. Only certain people resonate with that. Not everyone wants the intellectual aspect. They want to have the experience. I'm confused about what's happening in advertising and marketing and branding. It used to be a given that you would try to communicate the benefits of your product or service in your advertising. It seems that that's been taken over by a concern about branding that to my way of thinking seems completely illogical. Why would a gecko or an emu encourage me to change my auto insurance you know because i'm represented by this lizard or or an emu or the general i there's no talk about benefit i mean some still but like we give you a better price or whatever but i'm, I'm wondering what is happening to human consciousness that the nature of advertising you can benefit from this product and service and that'll benefit me and then i'll make a better product or service and that'll benefit you do you have a sense of what i'm talking about and where is that gone and what does this new em uh, emphasis on branding have to do with anything well to me i think it relates to human psychology that we are so influenced by certain stimuli that we take in and that can have a big impact on our decision making and behavior as consumers and people have become uh, so, there's such a short attention span because there's so much content we have everywhere. I think that naturally changes the nature of advertising and branding from the perspective of a profit seeker to try to maximize impact. And that will use psychological techniques that, that are geared toward um, a fixation on the product in some way. Well, short attention span, that really triggers something in me. As attention span gets shorter and shorter, for one thing, people are reading less and less. Reading of books is down by more than a quarter in the last decade. Look what's happened to newspaper and magazine circulation. And God, even TV news is secondary to people 
who get their news on Facebook. That's not news. Social media is not a, <laughs> a source of news. I say that not only as a journalist, uh, but as a consumer of news. You can't rely on some tweets on Twitter to inform you about what's going on in the world, and yet there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of awareness about that. So to reverse this trend toward an ever shorter attention span, this to me points to the need for meditation as a practice. And I often think of this quote by, uh, I think it was Blaise Pascal that said, the source of all man's problems is his or her inability to sit quietly alone in a room. And that is so terrifying to people. And yet they're even unaware of the fact that they're terrified to be alone with their thoughts and feelings. Prayer and meditation, introspection, contemplation, it seems to be the direction we need to move in. Yeah. Well, I can relate to the challenges associated with meditation. Even in my journey, for several years, I had a hard time sitting down for five or ten minutes. As much as I was researching, I still couldn't sit still. It really was those meditation retreats at the beginning of 2020 where I was forced for multiple days consecutively to have no contact with the world, no speaking, just meditating and being quiet. And I was able to see the value in that. But I think the world conditions us to essentially be like hamsters on a wheel, or it's like being on a treadmill where we're constantly running and we're not actually getting anywhere. And we're so used to being in that state, it's hard to decompress. I often compare it to pond scum. Like you may have a pond that is clean, clear, uh, fresh water, but floating on top is some scum. And you got to reach through that if you want to get to the clear water underneath it. And so when we sit quietly with ourselves and feel our feelings, once we get past that monkey mind of thought and that roof brain shatter, those intrusive, pedantic, self-loathing and criticism, the first feelings we feel are hurtful, they're painful. And so we have some demons we need to slay. In Islam, the word jihad, we've been conditioned to believe is about killing Christians or Western imperialists. The word jihad in Islam is really about slaying your own internal demons and dragons. I wonder if you have some thoughts about what Joseph Campbell called the hero's journey, which is really facing the inner shadow and not only facing but embracing what scares us about ourselves. Well, I think that's critical. And I'm reminded of the philosopher Ken Wilber's idea of lines of development in the awakening process where there's multiple areas in which we develop. He says it's about waking up, cleaning up, and growing up. And a lot of what you were just referring to is this area of cleaning up. We can wake up all we want and, and try and understand the nature of reality and think about that. But if we don't look at our own inner shadow and whatever trauma that we have within ourselves, that will hold us back. So there is a process of inner cleansing. And I think it all, there's also a process of collective cleansing as well. In my own life, I've taken to considering that every emotional feeling that hurts me, usually born of confusion and unawareness, that which I do not understand about myself, if I consider it to be like a Halloween 
costume, confronted and unmasked it. Say, who are you really? Not in normal awareness, but in a reflective, meditative state, maybe with guided imagery. And, uh, hey, heartache. Hey, loneliness. Hey, anger and contempt and, and vengefulness. Uh, who are you really? What are you really about? Take off that stupid mask and reveal yourself to me. And it takes a bit of courage, especially at first, but then you sort of roll with the process. You realize that these are just games the brain is playing with you to get your attention. When, you're, when your emotions hurt, the brain's just signaling you like a red light on the dashboard of your car. Hey, this needs attention. David Hawkins used to say that if you're feeling something, that means you're not feeling it enough. In other words, it's being suppressed, and if it were felt fully, then it would run out of its energy. So if one has anger, his recommendation, he used to be a psychiatrist in addition to a spiritual teacher, he would say, let the anger out. Be as angry as you want in a room by yourself until the anger is gone. Otherwise, it will fester. And I think that really does apply to so many emotions. We, the emotion comes up, it's uncomfortable, and then we suppress it. We don't want to think about it. But if we let it express itself, then it can clear within our system. Alan Watts says, if you meet a ghost, on your path, give them a hug. It's just a part of you that needs love and attention. We could look at it as a, a signifier that there's something we need to look at. Rather than being afraid of, it, afraid of it, it's teaching us something. Yeah. And that means the game is rigged. It means all of our problems and all of our heartache, all of our mental and emotional distress, and we could extrapolate that to what we perceive as physical problems in the world. All of this adversity is to grow us. Does that philosophy work for you? It, it does, and I'm reminded of Nizargadatta Maharaj, who said that life is the supreme guru. In other words, we could look at everything that's occurring in our life, both internally and in the, in the external world, as something that we can learn from. Every single event that happens is a teachable moment for us. And if we look at the universe that way, it is, in a sense, rigged for our own evolution. But that changes the perspective on anything that happens because then we might not be as afraid of something. If it occurs, we could say, well, what is the potential learning here rather than wanting to just suppress it? Everyone and everything is our teacher, especially that which we would wish to avoid. Exactly. <laughs> but I don't want to go there. That hurts. It's scary. It, uh, well, that's the whole deal with physical dance, you know, and, and life in this uh, in this physical universe. Uh, do you have any uh, plans to uh, uh, do another podcast, to re revitalize uh, your podcast, add some see another season to it? As of now, there are no definitive plans, but I'm always researching, so who knows? And tell us the title again. It's called Where Is My Mind? And more to the point, your books, I'm sure they're available everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, Let's be sure that folks have the title and subtitle. The first book, and ends upside down thinking. Tell us the subtitle to that as well. Dispelling the myth that the brain produces consciousness and the implications for everyday life. And then your second book is entitled? An End to Upside Down Living, Reorienting Our Consciousness to Live Better and Save the Human Species. And I presume there's benefit in reading them in that order. I've heard uh, mixed things from readers. Some people say they like to read the second one first, then the first one, and other people say start with the first and go to the second. So I don't, I think it's a matter of personal preference. 
So flip a coin, or better yet, trust your intuition. Buy them both, right? Whatever you feel called to do. Mark Gober is my guest today. Mark, uh, it's been great meeting you and chatting with you today on the Mystery School Show. And uh, gosh, I hope we can stay in touch and um, really value the research you're doing. And uh, like I say, I, I hope this filters into business soon because corporations are very powerful, very influential, and a lot can be done from the top down. I'm a big promoter of bottom-up thinking, you know, groundswell movements, but to reach out to these business executives and help them to reframe the whole reason they do business, and indeed the whole reason they live their lives, you know, they may not punch out at five o'clock, but they have lives, they have families, and they want to put their feet up and relax and enjoy their lives too. And it's easy in business to get so caught up in it that you don't have a lot of time left for that. And it begs the question, then why am I doing it? It begs the question, what is the overall intention of one's life? That is the fundamental question. And then everything that we do and value stems from that. And I think many people, including myself, several years ago, I didn't have a good answer to that question because I thought life was meaningless. So with a new view of reality, all of a sudden one's intention has to become aligned with the nature of reality. It's only rational. And that's how at least I've approached it. Thank you, sir. We'll talk again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Mark Cover, my guest, and uh, stay with us. We'll have a little more right after this. This is Jackson Brown. I've been listening to KPFK since I was a teenager. Then and now, KPFK has been a lifeline to vital information, without which we would be at the mercy of corporate media and commercial interests to control it. There are so many programs that I've listened to regularly, and so many instances when I've come upon the unexpected, the unknown, and the sublime. Join me and become a member today at kpfk.org. Now more than ever before, it's essential to keep supporting KPFK and the free exchange of ideas and cultural viewpoints that foster our democracy. And the number, which is the only number I know, actually by heart, 818-985-5735. KPFK. I came for inspiration. I came and we're back with the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK here in Los Angeles, 90.7 FM, and streaming for the world every Tuesday afternoon at 1 o'clock California time, 20 hours universal time at kpfk.org. I'd like to take the few minutes I have left to make a few remarks, first of all, about just how remarkably clear this young man is and what he's accomplished in less than a decade you can too if you begin to read that's all he did he just started reading books and listening to podcasts and attending workshops and seminars and in his free time while he continued to work a full 40 hour plus work week he figured this stuff out he did in less than 10 years what it took me 35 or 40 years to figure out and then some i think he's really clear very lucid on this whole subject of consciousness now 
One of the overriding principles of understanding that consciousness is primary to what appears to be our experience of a physically dense world is the realization of connectedness or interconnectedness that there's really just one of us here that as long as we limit our view to our solid form nature our bodies and the objects in the world in which we live we all seem very separated and not only diverse but quite unique really no two snowflakes are like this universe it appears goes out of its way to avoid replicating itself and that's true with each of us at the same time the paradox that we discussed is that we're part of a single cosmic universal field one huge ocean of electromagnetism we're born of energy and exist eternally and infinitely as the substantial part of the energy equals mass one of those somber type of days you know get it on Brainwash Radio, baby. Hollywood. This is a Maguire. Check it out.
Somebody knows how to cook them really good oh, all day long. Have you been on that railroad track uh, eatery where it's like a train? Yeah, yeah. I love eating there. Oh, their chili fries. Yeah, so good. Their burgers are good too. Uh, I haven't tried their shakes. What else is there? That uh, there's there uh, onion rings are really good, like really good. But they're kind of snobs. Carnies. Yeah, carnies. They're kind of snobs. Like you're like I'm spending money. Why are you being jerks? Be nice. Let an experience happen. Not crabby pussy. Sorry, sorry. I didn't mean that part. But you Crabby people suck. Thank you.
yeah. We got that Maguai for your mellow Tuesday. Let's get it on. We better get it on some more with some groupies.